It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Kirk, here we go, baby. Fingers in the dirt. Let's get it. <laughs> Let's do it. Forward progress, getting physical. Uh, it's it's great to turn our attention to some NFL brethren. Uh, Kirk, I understand you and Brendan go way back. Yeah. Uh, we were talking before you rejoined us, my man. It's the three-time NFL Pro Bowler, the Super Bowl champion. Uh, it's Brendan Ayabadejo with us here on Forward Progress. B, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for your leadership uh, outside. It's so fun. You can leave uh, your, your, your dream job, let's call it, right? <laughs> Get into an encore career and vanish. No one would be upset with it. You've refused to do any of that. Uh, out there advocating uh, for everyone in this unique space of having a pandemic, having an awakening focused on justice and equality, stuff you've been dealing with your entire, uh, I'm assuming your entire life, but definitely your public life. Uh, how have you seen this all channel come together and explode right in front of our face? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the beautiful thing is that we, anybody with brown skin has been dealing with this their entire life. If you're a woman, you've probably been dealing with this your entire life. If you're um, a minority based on religion, sexuality, you've been dealing with this your entire life. When you start looking at the numbers, that's the bulk of people. So it's like, why are we all conforming for this small portion of the population that runs and controls everything? We're all conforming and we're taking less. So it really, I think, you know, the pandemic happened at such a time. George Floyd, bless his soul and his family. It happened at such a time where we could take it all in and like, we're not going to put up with this anymore. So we all got to come together. And then there's an election as well. So you're telling me the perfect storm of all these things happening that were supposed to happen. These things were already happening, but they were supposed to come to light. And now we have an opportunity to change our country for the better and to get it where we really want it to be and where it should be based on the morals, the principles, the values that this country was founded on. And it's not living up to. That's why Colin Kaepernick took the knee and he, he ultimately was the sacrificial lamb. Right. So I think it's just, you know, it's a time to really just reflect and to make change. And these are things that have been happening our whole lives, whether you want to say Say you're um, an advocate or not, but you're a part of a minority group that that didn't have a voice. But now we have an opportunity to do such. You know, Brennan, you've always seemed to have had that voice in terms of equality, uh, social justice. You've been really outspoken, not just as a former player, though, Brennan. You've been a current player, and I felt like you've had that leadership role and have been able to express, and you've been down on Capitol Hill. You, you, you've done the, the, the work, right, where a lot of people always say sometimes they want change, but I've seen you go out there and, and, and make the change and be a part of protests and things like that. So when did you feel like you first had that opportunity or when did, it, did that first kind of grab you to go out and be that kind of guy? 
Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's just been a concoction of, of the life that I've, that I've lived. Um, I won't take you back to my ch super early childhood, just growing up in Nigeria and there's a revolution in Nigeria, but I'll just go back to when I was 10 years old and living in the projects and knowing what it's like to have nothing to stand in line to get government cheese, the, the first and the 15th to get food stamps and to be on government assistance. I know what it's like to have nothing. Then I moved to California and in California, you had a lot of people that had a lot of things. I moved to Santa Cruz from Chicago. And so what, what was interesting to me was that in during Desert Storm, um, I want to say it was the early 90s, you know, when we had the war with... Um, with Iraq, Desert Storm, the first Bush, um, there was a protest in Santa Cruz. And that really opened up my eyes that these people that have a lot are protesting war and they want peace and we want us to live harmoniously. And so people that have things are actually speaking up for people that don't have anything and to end violence and to end war. So that's kind of like my first, um, my very first protest that I went to. I was probably a freshman or a sophomore in high school. I was 15 years old. Wow. And that really paved the way and set, um, it set a, um, a, an ethos, a heartbeat, a burn inside my soul to speak up and to use my voice coming from someone that's a have not. That doesn't mean that you don't have a voice. You just don't have material things and you might not have sometimes food or maybe shelter, but you have a voice. So that was what kind of inspired me to use my voice back when I was 14 or 15. Brendan, I am Vidasio with us here on Forward Progress. Progress. Uh, you, you brought up a little bit earlier uh, the, the Kaepernick aspect of things. Who now do you think among active players best embodies his challenge of status quo? Is there someone in your view, Brendan, who's emerged in that space? Well, I mean, I look right to LeBron James really for taking the torch, but he was doing it back even um, when you saw the things that were going down in, in Miami Right. And he put on the hoodie and they did that whole thing. Um, he was really leading that. And um, the NBA has really been doing a lot more in terms of being out there. And they're also supported by the commissioner and they're also supported more by owners like Mark Cuban. Whereas you see, you know, NFL owners are really just this year starting to support really like vocally, um, whereas the NBA has been doing it for years. So, you know, I look to LeBron a lot for a lot of the social issues and the social change um, with the Trayvon Martin incident. You know, that was a while back. So um, I I think he's the one that's really leading the torch and he, he's got the, the broad shoulders to be able to take it. He understands right. that there's people that don't like him. He understands that there's people that love him, but you still got to put them in there with the uh, influencers and changers um, that are leading social justice. You know, Brendan, with so many, I think, areas of focus that, that you mentioned a little bit earlier, whether it's voting, whether it's police brutality, whether it's social justice, equality, LGBTQT. I mean, you, you can name so many different focuses, but with you, what's been sort of your main focus or your main objective and say, I, I want to help everyone. But I want to start with this first and then branch out and make sure I'm that we, we don't miss this right. one thing. You know, that's a really, it's a loaded question and that it's a great question and that there is no one place to start because if all of us don't have equality and justice, then none of us have equality and justice. For me, my platform is, has been mainly LGBTQ rights, but also growing up bro, gr growing up poor, I'd always go back to communities and I would do Thanksgivings back in the projects that I grew up in and in charities and so on and so forth. So giving back to the communities that raised me. But I think at the end of the day, it's not black rights. It's not women's rights. It's it's not gay rights, it's rights. 
Um, however, we did have a, a group of people that didn't have the same rights as others, and that was the gay community. But I just saw it as rights. I didn't see it as gay rights or lesbian rights or transgender rights. I saw it as rights. And I knew that this would come back because just growing up black, you already know you're a little nervous to get pulled over by a car. when you, If you're running in your neighborhood, there's things that go through your mind, mm-hmm. even... Um, prior to some of the incidences that happened this year, when you're doing things, sometimes you have to let people know why you're there. Like, why are you walking in this alley late at night? Or why are you in this parking lot at night? Whereas a white person doesn't have to give someone a reason as to, oh, I'm just here because I'm looking for this or I'm doing that. So um, my fight's always been for rights. Uh, In 2009, I started preaching and talking about gay rights, but it was the most important thing was rights. Um, so I just try to find groups that don't have it because if there's, if we continue to have minority groups that don't have rights, it's just a matter of time to other groups that are bigger groups, like the 13% of African-Americans in the United States that don't have equal rights is also going to be affected. Um, but if you look at, you know, supposedly 10% of the population is gay as well. So that's a huge group. You know, that's 30 million Americans that are part of the LGBTQ plus community. It's a little bit more people are, um, are, um, people of color or or African-American, a little bit larger of a group, but you start looking at these groups, women are 50% of the population. They don't have all the same rights, equal pay for women, especially if you're a black woman, you're not making the same money as a white man. So, you know, I I look for pockets and I look for groups so we can represent, so we can all be treated equally and and seen as human beings. Brendan, I am DeBejo with us here on Forward Progress, Jason Jackson, Kirk Morrison. Uh, Brendan, this is, let's go in a deep dive here because uh, this was a growth factor for me working through college and uh, lesbian and gay alliance was rising in prominence and that's the early 90s uh, on campus movements. And um, I remember having a distinct conversation with at that point that very narrow uh, focus, but it was the, the LAGA president at Bowling Green State University. And I remember distinctly getting offended because there was this mantra of civil rights being connected to those rights. And it took me getting out of my way and my blackness, right? This, this mystique that I, this is my struggle. You handle your struggle and we'll figure out other struggles on the other side. The banding together that I almost missed the moment for uh, because rights are rights, which you're referring to uh, was something that almost got by me. Is there much of that? that still exists as a resistance in the black community in that we ain't got no time for that. It's too hard to be black. Right. I mean, Jason, there is, imagine if you're black and gay, right? If you're, imagine if you're a transgendered black woman, which Mm -hmm. there's already been 30 something transgender people killed this year and nobody talks about it. Like, why are they, you know, why are people going out and murdering them? And we're not hearing about this group of people that are being persecuted. So, I mean, yes, there is. Um, why is that? I think that, um, you know, what are you raised around? What are you told about gay people? Or do you think people choose to be gay? Do, do, we choo- do we choose to be black? Would you choose to be persecuted? You know, if you feel like inside of your body, you, you're a woman and, you know, you're born with different parts, who are we to tell you? But people don't talk about these things enough. So you really need to understand what's going on with transgendered people or gay or lesbian people. What's inside of them? What's their heart? What's it telling them? You know? So until you kind of have those conversations, until you understand the people and the effect of all these things that are going on, you could easily miss it and say, Oh, this person's confused. They think they're a man, but they're a woman, but they're really just a man. And they're prancing around as a woman. So I think, yeah, we're not as sensitive to it. We're not as educated about it. And these are just a few of the issues, you know, there's a lot more things, you know, whether you want to start bringing up 
religion, immigration, separating people from their children that are immigrants, and healthcare, which is another big deal, education in poor communities, um, access to food, access to water, Flint, Michigan. So there's so many issues in our country and a lot of things that we need to bring up to, to really help everybody. But if you don't, if you're not in the know, you're not in the know. So I, I go into a lot of things with an open mind and there's still things that I'm a huge part of the LGBTQ plus community. There's things that I may say that are insensitive, but I, I can say, Hey, I was wrong. Let me learn how to articulate myself. Let me learn how to represent the cause or let me have some basic understanding and knowledge about it so I can learn about it. So I'm not scared to talk about it. So I don't say the wrong thing. So, you know, some of it is a step back and you need to listen, just like we're asking our white counterparts, just take a step back and just listen to what we're telling you. Yes, there's discrimination, discrimination in America. As a black man, I don't always feel safe in America. And your friends perk up their eyes and, you know, they might have a Drew Brees kind of moment where they're like, no, no, no. But then they start hearing it over and over again. All of a sudden you got to apologize twice for something that you doubled down on. Right. So um, I think, you know, conversation and dialogue, talking to each other as human beings is so critical and important because like you said, Jason, you can miss the boat. Could have. Could have. You know, I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, man. <laughs> but you can always get back on, too. It's not right. like the ship sails and leaves you. You you think about the Clintons, Obama, all these people yeah. missed the boat and they jumped back onto the boat. And now we think of them as people that represent the people. Right. right. But initially, right. you know, they had don't ask, don't tell from the Clintons and Obama mm-hmm. didn't support marriage equality. He was the first president ever to do it. So um, you can miss the boat, but the boat doesn't leave because the boat's an idea. You can always jump back and reassociate and and um, combine with the idea. Yeah, I think that's my, my next question. My last one for you, Brendan, is that um, you've been a part of different committees. Uh, I know you've sat on panels, uh, done a lot of voting in your lifetime, but is November 3rd probably the most important vote of your life? Man, I, I mean, every I think every vote is so important. And, you know, there's some people that say that, oh, voting is not important. But from a municipal level, from a city, county, state, obviously nation, I think every single one is important because sometimes we take a giant leap. Sometimes we take a small step. Sometimes we go backwards. So what are the steps that we're taking? I think this vote is going to be one of those ones that's going to be a huge step. But sometimes it's the little steps, you know, sometimes it's the George Floyds that are the catalysts to the millions of people that have been abused, just that one incident. So it's hard to say that one's bigger than the other. Obviously, we're going to take a huge step in the right direction if we can right some of the wrongs that our country's been doing as of late. But yeah, I think that um, the next vote's always the most important vote, just like when you're playing in a game, the next game is always the most important game. So um, it's easy to kind of look back after you've passed and you're like, oh, this was monumental. These are flagship moments and these are um, point, these are inflection points in time and history, but you don't always know when they're going to be or when they're going to happen. That's why everyone is important. So we need to treat it as such. So make sure you're registered, make sure you're voting ahead of time and you have a plan to go into voting, whether you're mailing your ballot, you're dropping off your ballot or you're going in or voting in person. Brendan and I and Bedejo, we thank you for the time. We thank you for the wisdom, man. We really appreciate this visit. Hope you'll come back again sometime soon. Hey, anytime you need me, I'm here. I, I, I represent for my boys. So JJ and Kirk, just let me know. You got it. You got appreciate it, Brendan. The three-time NFL Pro Bowl champ, the Super Bowl champion, the Sports Illustrated Sports Activist of the Year award recipient with us here on Forward Progress. We have another champion, Chris Bosch, coming up a little bit later. We're going to take a quick break. 
Kirk, you get to take a break because you are busy this week. You're out of control. Uh, the great story of Herb Washington, world-class sprinter turned baseball player with a single job, by the way, turned amazing African-American entrepreneur. When we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Joined now by Herb Washington, who has one of the favorite stories I've been able to share with folks uh, in this space. We will get to uh, the more expansive part of your life in a second, but I want to go to 1974. Charlie Finley with unique and innovative ideas of how to go about things, particularly with a championship club, found you a world-class sprinter who had probably, how long had it been since you played baseball prior to getting uh, this call to come be a part of this wonderful story that we're foreshadowing right now. I, actually, I played, growing up as a kid, I played baseball all the time, which a lot of folks didn't realize. Right. I mean, I played Little League baseball, all of that. I pitched, I played the outfield. As a matter of fact, we played one time against a young man by the name of Ron Pruitt. Ron lived in the suburbs. Of course, I lived in inner city. Ron Pruitt went on to play for the uh, Cleveland Indians. So, and yeah. he and I ended up playing basketball together later on in high school. But it had been, I played one year when I was, uh, my, after my freshman year in college, I played some baseball and that was it. Actually, Jason, the funny thing is later on, I played a lot of softball and uh, I played against Magic and his team. <laughs> <laughs> about that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, one thing we know, nobody threw you out. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, not in that space. So, I thought I had, and I think I may still have this distinction. I'll have to find out the next okay. time I'm home. Through my time at Princeton High School outside of Cincinnati, mm -hmm. I had more stolen bases than at-bats. Wow. So, yeah, it wasn't just going to get one. I was there to go get two every single time. I'll hold three times in, in, that, that's quite an extension. in, in two years. Yeah. Uh, well, I couldn't hit, so I better be able to do that. Hey, you got you to find a way to, you know, when the coach put me in, coach put me in. And I tell folks, uh, young folks this all the time. When you get that opportunity, you have to demonstrate to the coach or your boss or whomever that you have value and that value can be transcended in a much bigger space. And that's why they need to play you in certain situations your skill set. When you get that opportunity, you got to make most of it. I don't care what it is that you do. I love that uh, 46 years ago, you had this opportunity playing 92 games, stole 29 bases. That is absolutely, and, and I believe, is it a team record or a major league record at this point of, of having that designation of games played without an at-bat as a non-pitcher? It's a league record, and we did have, oh, I had a couple opportunities to actually hit whether you know that or not. I did not know. Tell me. It was late in the season. We had clinched. We were playing the Angels. Alvin Dark, the manager, and he asked me, and the guys were teasing me, hey, Herb, you could hit. You want to hit? You want to hit? You want to hit? <laughs> and uh, I said, absolutely not. It was Nolan Ryan pitching, and it was like a twilight double hitter or some crazy thing, right? Shadows and, and everything, right? Yeah. I'm like, are you guys trying to get me killed? <laughs> <laughs> Nolan, twilight. I mean, he was he was striking the regulars out, you know? And I'm like, this guy is going to throw at me. I know I would throw at me if the designated runner comes up with a bat in his hand. 
And I also thought about this. If I never had a time at bat, the things that I had accomplished in baseball would always be uh, something that would be talked about because the chances of someone else doing it was not very likely. Herb Washington with us here on uh, Forward Progress. Jason Jackson. Herb, this is such a unique space. When it felt like, how did it come to a close? Without me trying to frame it, what were the circumstances? Charlie uh, Finley came to me and, you know, free agency took place. Reggie was uh, on the cusp of going to New York. Charlie tried to uh, trade Vida, Rudy, and someone else to Boston. Bowie Coon stepped in and vetoed that. And uh, Charlie said to me that these moves were going to affect me in a very dramatic way. And, um, you know, he later came to me and, you know, I got the release. So I understood it was business and I was blessed. You know, I had an opportunity my first year to go to the Oakland A's, who were revered at the time in baseball. You know, I'm a part of a world champion team. Yeah. I get a ring. You know, there's Hall of Famers. I'm around Reggie, two lockers down, Catfish, two over, Raleigh Fingers, Vita Blue, Billy North, Claudel Washington, Billy Williams was came over on that squad, Jesus Lou on that squad. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm around some folks that, uh, you know, I, I have a great deal of respect for. Uh, their trade and their accomplishments. So I'm a, you know, I'm a very, very fortunate individual to be put in a situation like that. You can argue the merits of it, but at the end of the day, I would always say this, Jason, to folk who would quibble with whether or not it made sense, or they would say I took the place of a regular player. In 1974, the statistics you can't argue with said that I scored either 10 runs to tie up a ball game or 10 runs to win a ball game. That's undisputable. Right. If you were to rank the players, one through 25 in terms of value. If a person does that for your squad, are they the 25th player in terms of value? Not even close. Not even close. You don't even know the 24th and 25th player on your team. He's up and down for the minors all day long. That's how I assess, you know, my contribution to the A's and uh, to Major League Baseball. Sports today, is there's a lot of specialization. Oh, you know? now more than ever, right? Yeah, more so than ever. I may have been a forerunner, you know, for some of that. But more importantly, perhaps Charlie Finley was with his innovations. You know, he wanted the orange baseball, the colorful uniforms that everyone does, especially in football today, you know, oh. throwback, the throwbacks. Look at the Mamba jerseys that the Lakers finally lost in. But, you know, so that's where it is today. The players, they have much more access. They want that sort of thing. They want more freedom to express themselves. Supposed to when you and I were around, we didn't have a whole lot of say. You know, we just wore whatever they gave us. Well, I'll tell you what, you were the precursor to, pro- you probably were the inspiration to my coaches, <laughs> not cutting me my junior and senior, realizing you better have some speed on these pads because they do create runs. Even if these aren't players you're going to put out there all the time. Herb Washington with us here on Forward Progress. So after you're done there, a quick step back at your alma mater, and then you start a run that was going to be historical uh, as it pertains to McDonald's franchisees. There came a point a little over 10 years ago where you became the individual to own and operate the most McDonald's in the United States. How did this even come to you? Well, I realized that while playing baseball, that it was a holding pattern. It wasn't going to last for long. I I had no illusions about what was going to take place here. Also, all one had to do was to study Charlie Finley and how Charlie made decisions, the late Charlie Finley. And Charlie could be spontaneous. He would get rid of you. I negotiated a contract that was very solid, gave me 
some options and it gave me a net underneath me. And one day while we had played Boston and we're flying from Boston back to Oakland, I stopped into the bookstore, picked up some magazines. And on the cover was an individual who lived five blocks from Ann Flint, Michigan, in front of McDonald's, the Arches. And it was three of them. And they, African-Americans, they owned a McDonald's franchise. Blew my mind. One, McDonald's franchise. Two, someone that I know who's black and looks like me is a part of a trio that owns a McDonald's. After the uh, 74 season was over, gentleman's name, Dr. William Picard, just Google him, fantastic brother, just outstanding. I went to see him. He was teaching at Wayne State University, right in the city of Detroit. And all he did was brag about McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. I put that in my head. I put away some dollars because I had the bonus. I had the World Series share. For those days, I was doing pretty good. as a swimming in it, <laughs> I was living large. <laughs> Love it. And uh, so that was in my head. A small stint at Michigan State. Back then they had these tax shelters. I had put all my monies into tax shelters okay. because my income was so low. I got some, later on and as I matured financially, I was able to take credits as offsets. They became uh, mature. I could get my money out. And that's when I pursued McDonald's. I also turned down the car dealership training and some other things. This worked out. You made, this you, worked out. Yeah. You made the right call. So if and when, and you have this platform now, uh, that you have the opportunity to talk to athletes about building their portfolio. I, I know Magic Johnson owned a bunch of, and may still, Burger Kings. I think it's Jamal Mashburn owns a, mm-hmm. a bunch of Dunkin' Donuts. There's something about that franchise business that creates a nice, if not lucrative foundation for you that you should be looking at as a young player. I would say this, that franchising done right. Yeah, I've been in there 40 years now. Franchising done right is a good place to be. There are some things within franchising that can help individuals be successful. You have to also make sure, however, that the playing field is level. Mm. even inside of franchising because it is not always level. And we have in McDonald's an organization called the National Black McDonald's Association. That association was formed because there are some inequities even within McDonald's when we compare ourselves to our white counterpart that is not fair. And I will say it's systemic. It was years and years and years and years and years before any blacks had franchises in the suburbs. And that wasn't just Jermaine to McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, except for maybe Bridgewater, I think his name is. The big, uh, he played basketball, the big Wendy's franchising. Ah. But for the most part, you know, we weren't allowed to go to the suburbs. The first McDonald's in, in Ohio, they had to sue and demonstrate to get black folk a franchise in McDonald's. So it is, but here's what I would say to folk. Prepare early and talk to people who are in the business because there's a lot of other ways to make money also. It can be good. It's been good to me overall. It's been good, but it has had its roadblocks. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I look for opportunities. We are involved in, uh, for example, PPE. We are making plexiglass shields for a school district here. We uh, have supplied gloves to the police, you know, here in town. We are doing a project with a school district to make uh, portable desktops so that they can carry from class to class, as opposed to the germs that would be on a plexiglass stationary on a desk. You know, I'm into something that is uh, medicinal. <laughs> Hello, come on now. <laughs> you, you know, we won a license in Ohio in the cannabis field. Not easy to do, right? Not easy to do, not easy 
easy to do, uh, expensive, but, you know, that's the future. You know, we have to find out what we're good at, just like in sports and what we're not. And the things that you're not good at, hire someone, put someone on the team that is so that you can be successful. That's what I would say. Most importantly, along with that is have a truly good financial advisor that doesn't call you when he just wants or she wants to sell you something. The calls you just when they want to, when you can just talk knows your family, comes to the funeral of your mom, who cares, generally cares about you and what you want to do and help you on that path. And you know what? Learn how to read the P&L statement, man. So you know where your money is. And where it's going. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hey, before you run, you, you mentioned uh, the, the outreach from your organization into Youngstown area police. When I saw that, what triggered in my mind was what a wonderful image, what a wonderful bridge you're creating. Being a high profile black entrepreneur who is helping out with the police and fire department and how that can be a long term connection in this space where we're talking about trying to reform many of these locations as we focus in on equality and justice. Has much of that been a part of you all's conversation? It has. And many times, the, st- the stereotypically, you know, in, in my era, you know, athletes did pretty much shut up and dribble, if you will. Okay. But I, I've always been the kind of person that, you know, I try to analyze things. I'll listen to you. But then I got to call you. In 1972, myself, along with a number of others, stopped a basketball game at Michigan State. Also, one of those individuals was a young man by the name of Billy Joe Dupree. Mm-hmm. Billy Joe Dupree went on and did t- about 10 years with the Dallas Cowboys, right, right. you know, <laughs> as his tight end, you know, as a starter. Okay. He went on taxi. He was a starter. All right. right. Nigel Goodison, All American soccer player from Jamaica. And why did we do that? Why did we risk that? Because it was wrong. There was no black coaches. There was no black referees. Okay. And at some point you got to wager something to get something and you got to stand up. And so also you have to have options, understanding your value. What do I mean by that? So if they took my scholarship, because that's what they always threaten you with, I'm going to take you take your scholarship. So at, at the time, I was one of the fastest humans in the world. I had two world records. Take my scholarship. I just drive 50 miles west and go to University of Michigan or go to L.A., UCLA or someplace. You You won't make your own portal before the portal is hit. (laughs) Do you think that someone doesn't want those skills? Of course. Uh, Of course. So that, you know, we are um, in a very special space right now. The whole police thing, our whole society and uh, the way demonstrations are taking place today is much different than before because you have a lot of white folk out there demonstrating with blacks. That gives me hope. I would say that is much too slow, given that many of these issues that in 1972 we were talking about, we're talking about them today. There's something wrong with that. The whole police issue is complicated, but we do know that certain things are just flat out wrong. We've seen them play forward through media uh, today. Not all police are bad, but there are some bad ones that need to go. And there's some that need to be in jail, but we got to find a way quickly, not 20 more years, 30 more years and more training, more training. I'm so sick and tired of more training. How much training do you need to take your knee off somebody's neck for eight minutes, and 46 seconds? How much training? I've never been a policeman, but I can't breathe. You got me handcuffed. You know, so those are the kinds of things, some common sense kinds of things. But I would say this. This is what I would say to the public that I would ask. If, in fact, the police who have killed the number of black individuals were black police killing white 
young men and women? What would the reaction be? What would the reaction be? That's what that's what I submit to anyone who wants to question this. What would the reaction and would the tolerance be so patient? I'm not advocating violence or any of that. What I am advocating is be fair and let there be justice for everyone. Speaking of which, I'm gonna get a little lighter. I did some research on you. Really now? Yeah, uh-huh. Bowling Green, right? Mighty Flying Falcons, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. President of student government. <laughs> Two terms, yes, sir. <laughs> Two terms. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. See there? Uh-huh. I'm woke, brother. I'm woke. I'm You're right woke. there. You're I'm woke. You're right now, there. Listen. Now, I, hold on. Hold on. What did you do with the young Democrats and the young Republicans? What did you do to them you, during your term? Oh, my you, goodness. Look at you. Yeah, we brought them both. Right. We brought them together, man. We brought them both in. It was funny. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing that was, that's unique in that space is that shit used to rotate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, rotate for what? Like, 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 come on. You're either both in or you're both out. You know a name, Dan Peckia? It doesn't ring a bell right off the top. He was, he was there with you. He's okay. a part of the team on the Jackie Robinson statue. <laughs> you know way too much. You're an insider now. I love it. We got to put you on our NBA show on the weekend. NBA, you're a Jacks insider. <laughs> hey, I, would, I would love to. I had some bubble stories. And all, oh, yeah. Yeah. Herb, this has been such a delight, man. Thank you so much for taking the time and extending your story and your wisdom. We, we appreciate it. Hope you'll come back. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. God bless. And uh, everybody get out and vote. A big thank you to the only man who can say he has designated runner on his tops trading card, Herb Washington. And look who's back. My man, if people <laughs> knew your schedule and why you have to bop in it off the show this week, they'd understand. All they got to do is see you working on a college game on a Friday and they'll understand, right? Hey, that's why this show is forward progress, man. We are progressing <laughs> forward, brother. The, the show don't stop, right? NBA season no. has just ended, which, you know, for you, I, I know it's it, it wasn't the way that you wanted to, but yeah. it's still, it never stops though. Because it's like, it. now we're going right into the draft. Now you got free agency. That's the way it is with sports, right? It, it's yeah. literally, you don't have time to like relax. It is still, we're forward progress. We're now, okay, it's over. All right, let's move forward. What's next? <laughs> That's it. That's it. And sometimes tag team yeah. on the program. <laughs> with it. When we come back, two-time NBA champion, speaking of basketball, my good buddy, you're going to love this conversation, Kirk. Chris Bosch with us next on Forward Progress. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. We call the show Forward Progress, but I'm going to rewind just a little bit because it was a, a decade ago that I had the distinct pleasure of celebrating this man. Right about now, we would have probably been in training camp after the rock concert in July of 2010 and getting ready for the run. And so how neat is it as we say hello to two-time NBA champion Chris Bosh to see the fruits of your labor in this next iteration of the Miami Heat get so close to it. And honestly, as a man that's been on both sides of it in the finals, what would be your advice to those of us in Heat Nation uh, who aren't handling this well right now? Yeah, well, first off, it's really nice of you to say that. I don't even see it like that. I I see it as um, me just taking part in um, 
you know, some great things. I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that people would see it like that. And, and I'm glad that people get that nostalgic feeling when we talk about it. I love that. I feel that these guys, this team, they just really believe the whole time, man. I mean, it's, it's pretty much that whoop ass and take name mentality. No matter what seed you are, if we're in Miami there, we'll whoop you there. We'll whoop you here. And then we're going to lift and go get a conditioning test right after that. Just their toughness and everything that they brought together. You know that that team dynamic is strong. And, and when it's like, when it's that strong, when the locker room is strong, you can tell it really bleeds over on the court. And then, you know, they've been putting in the work. I mean, before all this COVID stuff, I was going to the gym. I mean, damn, around this time last year. And plus the summer, going to the gym. And I tell you, man, those guys were in there working every day. Everybody is like, oh, Duncan Robinson. I saw him shoot more threes than anybody I've ever shoot in the summer <laughs> you know and, and and you know I wasn't trying to act I'm not acting like I was in there every day really getting it in but you know every time I was there he was there you know and guys were there working believing working on that thing and you know how Spo is man he's gonna put the work in daily he's not gonna have too much fun well you can have fun if you're winning but just that work first mentality and really really bringing your lunch pail with you when you come to play ball man that's what uh that's what it was about this season, and they really did a great job. I don't know if you saw it live, but I'm assuming you got word uh, of the usual very stoic and even Eric Spolstra being brought to tears on this one. Were you surprised, or you fully get what he's dealing with? Or no, was dealing with it it's both. It's both. It's, it's kind of like a thing like, oh, man, damn, okay. Uh, then it all starts coming back. It's painful. It is painful, man. I mean, you you believe with all your heart and your mind that you can can do this, and, and you know how special it is. You don't get finals opportunities. I mean, for both teams, these are the successful franchises. L.A. hasn't been there since 2010 or won since 2010. Miami hasn't been there or won since 2013, 2014. You know, so it's years. It takes years to even get a crack at it, and especially in that bubble, who knows what kind of psychological things, you know, guys were dealing with being away from their families, making even more sacrifices, you know, to try to try to get something done. But through all that, they still have a crack at it. You get there. I mean, Goran goes down. It's just tough, man, to get there and, and, and lose. And, and and that was kind of like the motto I was telling people. You know, everybody kept asking, are you surprised? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm surprised, but not really. You don't get to the finals to lose. Right. You get there to win. You know, you don't get there at all. And, and every time you lose, it hurts. I mean, hey, we had our ass whooped good and thoroughly by uh, San Antonio. I mean, it was a clinic. I remember how I felt when we lost. Just like, man, it's just it hurts so much. And especially knowing this group might not play together. You know, it's, uh, th those are things that run through the mind. But all in all, it's a part of the process. That's what I would tell you were asking me earlier. That's what I would tell people. Like, unfortunately, pain is a part of the process. And I know exactly how you feel to get there and lose. But I'm not gonna feel sorry for you. Um, you know, no one else will get get get, get back in the gym and then play with that pain next time. Two-time NBA champion, eleven-time NBA All-Star, Chris Bosch with us here on Forward Progress. You brought up the bubble. What was your view of it? How would you have managed in it, if at all? Uh, and then also, <laughs> let's compound it all. This pandemic with yeah. the awakening of yeah. something that was really never gone, but maybe dormant, uh, a mm. focus on justice and equality. Wow, it's just a crazy, crazy time. I mean, first, I guess, you know, with COVID, 
you know, to be taken out of the prime of the season, that's tough. That was tough for everybody to be in limbo and not know and then say, hey, we're going to do a bubble. We're doing this experimental thing. Like, <laughs> you know, we're going to play NBA basketball with no fans right. so we can finish the season. That's like another unprecedented thing you have to deal with. Then, I mean, a lot of guys, I mean, some some opted not to come in. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I asked my wife, like, what's a team sport? I, I asked my wife, you know, she has as much say so in it as me. And we were just kind of, you know, over a glass of wine, just talking. Talking what ifs? What if I was still playing in the back? And you know, I kind of answer my own question because, man, let me tell you, Jax, I got some nice sheets, nice bed. You know, was a thousand count, five hundred count? I don't even, I can't even you count. Might, anymore, you might have man. three thousand, you know, brother. Three thousand, whatever. Yeah, whatever the yeah. good one is, I got it. I know I got it. <laughs> you know, I may not know the count, but I got it. And yes, <laughs> being away from my family and, and trying to figure it out for that long, uh, man, and then quarantining it, but they were quarantining quarantining by them in, in their own rooms like it's just oh man and then to do all that no nobody's really going to care like, ah. <laughs> you know it's it's uh i'm sure it was super tough but you know you have to give credit to those guys they did a great job um you have to give credit to the league although you don't want a circumstance like that you want fans at the game you got to keep people safe and you want to finish the season you want to crown champions you know you want to um play, see the best basketball played you know they accomplished that i'm just glad i don't have to answer that question to be honest with you i can't say that i would have went in there if i don't have a clear crack at a championship like okay look are we gonna win this thing or not because i can go home you know <laughs> and many did chris you were not alone yeah man that you know, it's yeah. tough but you know if i was on the lakers or something if it was like a bona fide opportunity please believe you know the boshes we would have been in the bubble yeah. it just would have been more kids in there that's for sure yeah <laughs> i'm rolling deep <laughs> you better you roll some, deep baby you know chairs at the table with the bus oh yeah it's gonna be a bus you're gonna be is that the heat no that's the <laughs> To the boxes. That's only <laughs> Chris and Fred. The way your Players Association worked with the league to make sure that the message to get out to vote, that the yeah. message of black folks are sick and tired of being sick and tired. For sure. Um, the advancement of thought connected to justice and equality meant what to you? I mean, it means everything. I mean, yeah, you, you, you do. I come from a family. Um, we were very big. I was, our, our family was that family reunion that was at the black history museum. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The one you don't know of the joint in Jackson, Mississippi. You can feel the racial tension. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Selma, Alabama. They took us to Bloody Sunday, the bridge. Watch you know, and I'm 12. You don't want to do these things when you're 12. And But regardless, we went to those places uh, over and over and over. And, you know, it was just pretty much taught in the family. And you know how it is growing up as a black man. There's certain fears that you have. There's certain, there's certain scenarios that you hope don't play out on. And that's not even dealing with a cop pulling you over. Yeah. You know, so at the end of the day, if if another cop is pulling another guy over and another person is losing his life, again, obviously, um there there comes a tipping point. And you know, you got to give compliments to the Bucks because they, they they just say we're not playing. They made a bunch of people mad. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean they they went with the heart. Yeah. And they led from the jump. And I think, um, you know, I, I think that was great for athletes to see the power in their voice. Sometimes 
you could be made to feel like you're just supposed to shut up and dribble, right? Mm. But <clears throat> that's only people speaking from a place of fear, you know? They and and you know ignorance. They they have never had a conversation with you. Um, they were probably uh, uh, you know had a bad confrontation with an athlete at one point in time, and that pain from back in the day is making them lash out to somebody that has a platform. But with that said, um, the guys have handled it beautifully. Um, and with that said, I'm gonna have to give, we got to give credit, uh, to our sisters, uh, in the WNBA. Oh, yeah. I think, uh, they led the charge on that when they were the main ones in the protest before, you know, these events started happening and, uh, speaking up on change. And, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, as long as it's all positive, I'm all for it. And, and it's been a masterful job in how to peacefully, uh, you know, protest when you're a peaceful protester. I don't get it, boy. They, they get scared of a peaceful protester. See, you thug. Like, now, don't get me wrong. I hang out. I, I'm not a thug. I hung out with some thugs <laughs> at one point you know, in time. You know what it looks like. Yeah, I know what a thug looks like. Those are not thugs. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> Before I let you run, I know you're up against it. You got a schedule to keep. Uh, but you think you know a guy, and then all of a sudden he's got a record label. So please tell me. <laughs> please tell me about yeah. Daddy Jack Records and and its intent. And and uh, I'm gonna call it right now the first hit that you all are putting on the street. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we just released a track. I want it all. And I know you know it's funny. We were having conversations. Um, at the end, um, you know, we put a clip in there and saying Lakers win. Um, that was a subject of conversation. I knew like some people in Miami might feel a certain way, but it was more of a Kobe tribute. You know, sure. it wasn't necessarily uh, a premonition. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to, I've been doing, man, I've been doing music for like uh, five years now. Yeah. That was one of the first things I started doing, was the first thing I started doing when I got blood clots. Uh, the first time I needed to, uh, I knew I needed to find that other thing that I love and I didn't know where to start. And then I had a guitar in my hand and I'm playing the guitar, trying to figure things out. And I started meeting, you know, great people. Uh, Miami's a great city with a lot of producers. <laughs> and, you know, I was able to soak up just a bunch of knowledge. It was almost like kind of going back to school. So I've been working at it for a while and I'm getting to the point now where I feel that we can, um, you know, start releasing music. So we released our first single uh, a couple weeks ago called I Want It All. Go check it out. You could uh, listen to it on Apple Music and and uh, Spotify, all the all the platforms. But yeah, I mean, it was really, it really came back down to passion and love and, and, and pursuing those things because I love basketball so much. And, you know, I'm lucky to be a smart guy and people say, oh, yeah, you're smart, Chris. You'll figure it out. You have, you know, we always have that message. Hey, student athletes, you have to have that other thing to fall back on. Look, if you and, and people say, oh, yeah, you had that other thing, right? Like, man, I was, bro, you see the trophies, bro? <laughs> All stars, bro. Gold medal. Yeah, you cannot do anything else. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell Riles that. Hey, I'm gonna, you know, go to a producer camp before a training camp. Like, nah. How about you training camp? How about that? You know. So, I was very aware of uh, what was working for me at the time. <laughs> yes, you were. And I put all, you know, I put my, you know, all into basketball, and now, um, now I'm just transferring uh, that passion. 
or I have have transferred it uh, into music for the last five years. So, you know, I'm really just looking forward to uh, starting this journey, continuing this journey and see where it takes me. Awesome. Partner, we appreciate the time. We thank you very much. Best to the family. I oh, appreciate it, man. Good to, man, good to see you, man. Yeah, it's Zoom thing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's crazy, right? It brings us know. together. Yeah, it brings everybody together. Who knew, man? We'd be in the office with a webcam. Been fighting it for years. <laughs> and now it's a, a month. <laughs> Absolutely. Chris Bosch, two-time NBA champion, 11-time All-Star with us here on Forward Progress. That's going to do it for us. Thanks again to Chris, to Herb, uh, to Brendan, uh, for Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. Our producer is Pernell Brown. We'll talk to you next time.